We're joining with um, our denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance, in 40 days of prayer to begin this new year of 2021. Um, the theme for this week has been the holiness of God, and uh, we have some resources on our website of a daily um, <clears throat> devotional guide from the Alliance. It's exciting to join with the Alliance family in this, that all over the United States, people are praying on page together uh, for 40 days. Today we come to an aspect of, of God's character that is so important for us to not only acknowledge, but to surrender ourselves to, and that, that, that's the aspect of God's sovereignty. We've been talking about the holiness of God for the last couple of days. And, and this is, again, where it's important to understand the, the doctrine of what's called the simplicity of God is that God is not divisible. He's not, he's not acting in one way over here and another way over there. God is, every single attribute of God is always present all the time. So in a way you could say that the holy God is sovereign or you could say the sovereign God is holy. And in many ways, when we're talking about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about the will of God, how he exercises his will. So he is all-powerful. He can do anything. He is everywhere present. There's nowhere you can escape the presence of God. He is all-knowing. There's nothing that happens that he is not aware of or does not know. But when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we are talking about how he exercises his power, what he does with his knowledge, and what he does with his presence, his will. And so the, the devotional reading today is on the sovereignty of God, and, and the writer talks about Ephesians chapter 1. And if you've ever read Ephesians chapter 1, it particularly verses uh, 3 through 14, it's in a, it is a powerful theological statement of Paul's knowledge of the sovereignty of God. But what it does in the Apostle Paul and what he longs for it to do in terms of every believer is to lead us into a place of praise and worship, praise to our Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praise for the work of God in our life, because you see what Paul is saying is that the sovereignty of God has been directed towards our salvation, that uh, in that passage, and, and the, the devotional today is focused on, in a way, seven things that God has sovereignly done in his grace for you as an individual. Number one, God has blessed you in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. This is his sovereign will, is that you would have every resource that you need to live the life that you are called to live. It says that God chose you before even the world was created. 
third, in love, God predestined you to be adopted as sons. So again, this is a this is a gender inclusive idea. Is that whether we're male or female, God's purpose for you from the beginning was that you would have the status and the rights and the intimacy of a firstborn son. That this was his plan all along for you. That you would enjoy not a second class status, but all of the rights and privileges of a firstborn son. In other words, in other words, that you would be loved and cherished and protected and listened to as if you were Jesus by the Father. This is a pleasure, Ephesians says. This is his will for you. Uh, number four in, in his sovereignty, because of the riches of his grace, you have redemption through his blood and your sins are forgiven. This is not a transaction in which you give anything. He gives his forgiveness to you because of what Jesus has done for you, but it originated in the sovereign grace of God towards you. This one is one I, I like. It's number, I mean, all of these are great. But number five, think about that. He says, he's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Now, what's, why do you, does Paul say mystery? Well, it's not an English kind of mystery. This is an ancient world mystery. It's something unknown that can only be known if it's revealed. And so what God has in the gospel, what God has done in Christ, is he's made his his mystery, his secrets known to you. See, he wanted you to understand that everything he purposed for you, he purposed in Christ. And he's bringing all things together in heaven and on earth in Christ. And you're part of that. He's tying up the loose ends, not only of your life, but of all of history. And then number six, Paul says, this has been God's destiny for you from since the world uh, before the world was even created. You can have a lot of confidence, is what Paul is saying, because you've always been the object of his sovereign will. He's not going to turn his eyes away from you. He's always had his eyes on you. And then I, I think probably one of the most important of the seven things that Paul says God has done for you in his sovereign grace is he sealed you and that see that's that's such an important thing you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is a guarantee that the inheritance of sonship is yours that you're possessing the guarantee by having the Holy Spirit. And again, you look, all of these are actions of God that are not transactional. They were done and initiated by God for you before you ever knew anything about God. So it's all to the praise of His glory. This is, this is what Paul, when he talks about salvation, he begins to bless God. He begins to praise God because he sees he sees the cause is not us or our goodness. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. He sees the, the effectiveness or the efficacy of all that God has done. And he praises the sovereign God for these things. 
And think with me about this. In this, in this way that God, that Paul reveals God's sovereignty, you start to realize that praise, power, prayer, and I, I'm going to use a fancy word, prescience, which is knowing things beforehand. So here, think think through this with me. These are four things: praise, power, prayer, and prescience. These are things that we cannot handle. We can't, we can't really handle knowing things beforehand. It messes. With, it would mess with us. We'd make, we'd make different choices. Choices for our comfort. Choices, you know, that would avoid any kind of suffering or pain. So we can't know things beforehand. And 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 we can't superintend or have oversight over all things. So, I mean, fortunately, no one prays to us. But if they did, it would be a disaster power again god has given us authority but the power belongs to the lord and which of us humans really handles praise very well so in a way what paul is talking about when he talks when he's calling us to praise and bless the lord in a way he's saying he's the only one that can handle it and you and i have to learn to direct our praise and and to receive his power and to direct our prayers and to know that he knows beforehand because he alone can handle the knowledge the glory the control and the oversight of all things now a little later on in this chapter chapter one of ephesians paul begins to sum up when he says all things are coming together in christ he begins to sum up the whole idea that the sovereignty of God or the sovereign power of God exercised is now exercised by Christ Jesus over everything. But here's what he says. It's not just for you individually, but he exercises the sovereign power of God, Christ does, for the benefit of the church, of his bride, of his people. Jesus's divine love for his church, which includes you, is as great and as powerful as God's sovereignty over the church and over the world. But Paul makes it clear, and this is why our praise should erupt in Jesus, is Paul makes it clear that this sovereignty of God is now mediated through the one who was crucified on our behalf. I mean, when I pray, I, I don't pray with no expectation of, of benefit or of blessing. Because if, if Jesus loved the church so much to die for the church, then there is nothing in a way that he will not do for his church. And all sovereign power of God is now mediated through Christ for the benefit of the church. We should not be people who have no hope, who have no faith, who have no belief in, 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 in God's ability to do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. But at the same time, the idea here is all of his, his power, his knowledge, his presence is mediated through Christ for his church. Obviously, None of us will ever fully understand the mysteries of prayer. All our prayers, all our prayer life, though, 
can revolve around this one person. And this, sometimes if you listen to people's prayer, their whole prayer life revolves around one person, but it's not Jesus. And what Paul's prayer life revolved around was this one person, and it's the person who died in our place. See, for the Apostle Paul, the mystery of God's sovereignty and, and the call to prayer dissolves into worship and gratitude. You're, you are for me, you're not against me. There's nothing you cannot do, Paul is recognizing. And he, he keeps his eyes up to see where God is at work, where God is revealing his will. See, the more that we study even the sovereignty of God, the knowledge of God, the more incentive we have to approach God and we begin to understand how to actually pray according to God's plan. And we also begin to understand how our motives need to be sifted so that it's for his praise and for the glory of the Son and for the good of God's people. I mean, the truth is, Paul is saying that, that the sovereign God is waiting for you to pray. Now that prayer and that prayer life is only as, as effective as your knowledge, your experiential knowledge of God. But here, here, here's a, another thing. I spent a lot of my life, particularly the early years of study, with people who were knowledgeable but who did not have very strong prayer lives. So in some ways, you see, your prayers are only going to be as effective as your knowledge of God, but your knowledge of God is only as effective as your prayer life. Whatever, whatever you know of God that is true will always lead you to prayer. This aspect that we're talking about, this attribute of God that he is sovereign, that, that he has the right to use his power, he has the right to to use the knowledge he has. He has the right to use his, his presence in a way according to his will and according to his work and his good pleasure, Paul even says. This sovereignty of God, if you're going to really pray, has to be a part of, of, of what you attribute to a holy God. In other words, God is sovereign over over anything that happens. Nothing in this world can happen apart from divine sovereignty. See, if God is not sovereign, then God is not God. It's that simple. If God is not sovereign, God is not God. And if the God that we pray to or that we believe in is not a sovereign God, then we don't really believe in God. So then, here's what comes if you, if you think along these lines. And and of course, I'm not going into the fullness of, of how God's sovereignty works both actively and passively. We could certainly talk about that. Or that there are different aspects of God's will. Like the whole of the Bible is filled with his prescriptions of how, you know, from even things like the Ten Commandments to the, the law of God, or any of these aspects are prescriptive of his own moral character and how he would like the his creation and his his human beings made in his likeness to conduct themselves. That's a prescriptive aspect of God's will. There are certainly things that God permits that he does not applaud. But yet, at the same time, 
we have to ask the question, in what meaningful sense can our prayers make a difference? Can they change things? A lot of, a lot of believers, when they come to understand the sovereignty of God, almost quit praying. You see, if your understanding of God in any way leads you to stop praying, then it is not true understanding. In the scriptures, we see major individuals who pray not only for themselves, but they also ask for things. I can give you examples where, where godly people ask God to change circumstances. They ask God to give them things. They even ask God to change his mind. And we are told that God, the sovereign God, on hearing prayers from these particular individuals, he relented, which is not a lot, is not much different from saying that he changed his mind. Now, I know this is, in a way, this is theological stuff, this is kind of heady stuff, but, in a, but we're trying to understand this tension between how prayer can change things and, and the, the same time where we see a, the character of God as steadfast, as reliable, as unchangeable, immutable. If we don't if we don't keep this in balance of how our prayers make a difference, but God still stays God, then we can get a faulty view of God and a faulty view of prayer that causes all kind of problems. Either some won't pray at all, or others will start to see formulas, how they can make God do what they want him to do in terms of leverage or other things. Here is the clear teaching of Scripture. The sovereign God, the God who can do anything, has clearly chosen from Genesis to Revelation, he's clearly chosen to work through mediators. Another word for mediator could be an intercessor. To intercede is to interpose, to, to come between on behalf of somebody or something that's in difficulty or in trouble. And you enter. You intercede by pleading, by making a case, or by petition. In the gospel, an intercessor is a go-between or an advocate who represents or pleads our case to God. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is our ultimate intercessor. He is the only intermediary between God and man who brings reconciliation of God to man and man to God. But we are called to be mediators. We are called to be those through whom God directs actions, his actions. Now, he's still working sovereignly, but he has sovereignly ordained mediators. The Bible urges us to pray, gives us examples of effective and powerful prayers. Here, this may surprise you, but God expects expects you to make your case with him, to plead with. He expects believers to intercede. This is part of our purpose. This is part of why we're still here. It is his appointed means that as we intercede, as we mediate, both for ourselves and for others, that he will bring about what we need. And, it, 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 and scripture says he will relent. And in some ways, if we do not do this, we do not see what we need to see. 
I mean, think about it. James says it this way. You have not because you ask not or because you ask with wrong motives. So mediation, intercession, prayer is God's ordained means, the sovereign God's ordained means for bringing things about. And when you don't fulfill that position, you are missing out on your purpose. Let me give you a few biblical examples. Moses was given a choice. And God said it very, very, it seemed like, like it, was, it was black and white, that it was very, very clear. He said, I am, I am, I am tired of the children of Israel. They are sinful, they are rebellious. God in his holiness cannot and does not overlook their wickedness. So what God does is he says to Moses, I'm going to get rid of them. <laughs> I'm going to take them out. I'm going to start over with you and I'm going to make a whole new people. I mean, it sounds very much like, okay, this is God's will. This is what he's going to do. But Moses, Moses mediated. Now, was God unjust? No. God would have been perfectly just to wipe that, the sinfulness and the sinful people out. It would have been well within his holiness and his justice. But Moses, you see, understood, understood the character of God and he understood the need of the situation. And Moses became God's appointed means that he could continue to be just, but he could also be merciful. And he does it through the intercession of Moses. And, and truthfully, friends, what, what God is doing in this, this prayer life of Moses and this particular event of redemption of the people is he's pointing to Jesus. Because God, God is trying to set up a pattern where he can be just and merciful, where he can be just and holy, and he can justify the wicked at the same time. And so he does that through a mediator. So Moses mediates forbearance. Moses mediates forbearance. And I say forbearance because the sins and the wickedness of the people are not taken away. But God is waiting for the true sacrifice and the true mediator that Moses is pointing to, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses does not deny the sinfulness and the wickedness of the people, but he goes to the mercy of God and he pleads, God, you made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God relents at Moses' intercession the sovereign God relents in an amazing way. He holds to his covenant. He grants mercy. He saves his wicked people, though they do not deserve it. Do you understand how God longs that you'll step into that role of prayer, mediation, intercession like Moses did? That he who is just and holy can be merciful and gracious to a wicked people. This is, I mean, this is the good news of the gospel, is that God, through Christ, through the shed precious blood of Christ, remains holy, 
satisfies justice, but is able to justify and bring near a wicked and sinful people. You know, here's the thing. Moses could plead for mercy, but he could not provide righteousness. He could plead forbearance, but he could not provide righteousness. There's a huge difference between Jesus and Moses. Only Jesus can mediate the grace of God. Moses could go for mercy, say, God, don't give them what they deserve. But Moses could not give them what they did not deserve. It's an amazing truth. Moses could plead forbearance, but Jesus alone could give us righteousness. Jesus alone can make us right with God. Moses could plead that God would, God would hold back his justice. But Jesus alone could take the justice of God and give to us his righteousness. As much as we could love Moses, all glory and praise and honor goes to the Lord Jesus. See, something is wrong in our reasoning if we don't learn to pray if our, or if our knowledge of God leads us away from prayer. Our knowledge is an incentive to prayer. God's sovereignty never reduces our responsibility to intercede, to mediate. We're bringing Christ into our family, we're bringing Christ into our workplace, bringing Christ into our school, who can not only mediate between God and man, but he can make the sinner righteous. Sharing that, that message of Jesus is a responsibility that God has given to every believer. Um, let, me just, let me sum up this as we get close to the end here. God's sovereignty has a powerful function if you really want to pray. You really want to be a mediator of God's mercy and grace. His character, you see, and his grace serve as an incentive to pray. If you know who he is and how he loves to show mercy and how he, how he wants to give his grace to, to every single one of the people in your life, then you pray in line with God's will and his character. He's not willing that any should perish. Secondly, think about our Lord Jesus Christ, his example. He obviously knew the sovereignty of his Father, the sovereignty of God, and he had submitted his will to his Father's will. And yet, going to the cross, Jesus is not silent. He's not silent in the garden. Father, if you can take this cup from me. He knows, he knows the sovereign will of God, and he says he, he, he surrenders to it. Not my will, but yours be done. But he's not silent even as he's surrendering. And then as he's about to go to the cross, he says, Father, glorify this hour. And the Father thunders from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Now, do you think Jesus didn't know that? Of course he knew that. And yet he still was not silent. He prayed his heart to his sovereign Father. Knowing the Father's will, he still processed his emotions and, and lined up his will with the Father's will verbally, even though he knew the sovereignty of his Father. Why, why is this so important? Well, because God is not impersonal. God is a person. And prayers have to be personal. They're not formulaic. They're not 
say these certain words and you'll get this certain result. God is a person. To not approach him in prayer as a person is to not pray. Yesterday I said that love, God's love, God's holy love is not transactional. Well, if you're approaching God in prayer as if this is a transaction, then that's a business relationship. And Jesus says anyone who approaches God in prayer as a business partner will not be heard. God is a person, and prayer is a family relationship. Our Father. Not even our sovereign God. <laughs> not even the King. Our Father, our Daddy, our Abba. But here's what I really want you to get. Is the Bible teaches, like with Moses, that human beings can bring about God's appointed purposes through God's appointed means. Prayer, preaching, sharing the good news. These are God's appointed means. When you're doing that, you're not going against the sovereignty of God. You're placing your confidence in the sovereignty of our God. So here's what I'd like you to do in prayer today. He's already blessed you with every spiritual blessing. The origin of those blessings is heaven, not earth. But the origin of those blessings means that the earth cannot distract or distort or detour those blessings. And they're the blessings you need for a fruitful life here. And all those blessings are found in your union and your intimacy with Christ. If you have in some ways functioned in unbelief in, in, in saying, well, God doesn't seem to have control over this, or I need to have control over this with anxiety or worry, then there needs to be confession. If God is sovereign, and he has from before the foundation of the world, put his affection on you. Worry is idolatry. Worry is saying, I need control. I can't trust your control. So, as we pray, we want to pray in that way. Will you pray with me? God, in, in, we come to you as our Father. Come to you as family. We come recognizing that you have intended this since before the foundation of the world, that your plan was to take us from simply being those that you created in your image to becoming truly family members, sons and daughters. And one of the things that we've realized this week is that the chief family characteristic is holiness, is the beauty of holiness. And so we come and we devote ourselves afresh to our sovereign God. And we devote ourselves afresh being mediators of the plans and the purposes and the will of God, not only for our lives, but for our, the people in our lives as well. That through prayer, like Moses did, we'll bring about the mercy of God. We'll see the grace of God poured out on those that don't deserve it, just like us. And we'll stand in the gap and we'll pray and we'll appeal to your covenant promises. We'll appeal to your mercy, to your grace for our families, for our friends, for our co-workers, for our community. Lord, we confess that in our short-sightedness, we have been worried, we've been fearful, we've been anxious, we've been angry. At times even we've been depressed. We recognize this day that 
Though we might have with our lips said you are sovereign with our worry and our fear and our anxiety, we have said we would do a better job if we had control. We align our hearts with the Apostle Paul today and say all praise and glory to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who sovereignly is at work in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Let's keep doing this. 40 days of prayer. Let's see what God will do. God bless you.